October 10th, 2012, Rindavan, India, second part of introduction, part two. Okay, thank you for your patience. So, anybody have some more thoughts on this? Yes. Can we compare it with some Monday example? Definitely. Two are here with the. That we call the initiation by one of our special masters, actually, Krishna consciousness is made to perform. So, two people are loving each other. Yes. They get married. Hey, guys. Obviously, they get married. Yes. We know as wife and husband, but they were loving before also. Yes, that's an excellent example. And in fact, um, I'm sure. Knows of an engagement that got broken before the wedding. You know of anybody who broke off their engagement before the wedding? Yeah. Only a few. No one else has had friends or relatives who broke an engagement. Yeah. Do you have any? Know of anybody who broke their engagement? Who knows of somebody who broke their engagement before the wedding? Okay. So sometimes people break their engagement five minutes before the wedding. It happens. So they may have been engaged for a year, but if they don't get married, the, the actual connection is not performed. So that's a very good example. Srila Prabhupada also gives the example, just like some of you here are enrolled in the Bhakti Shastri course, and some of you are visiting. So the visitors don't get a certificate. And that's a Srila Prabhupada's comparison, that if you don't take initiation, you're like a visitor. You're just in the listener category. But, but nothing gets lost on the account of Bhakti. You know? Nothing gets lost on the account of Bhakti. So when Prabhupada's saying here the actual connection with Krishna consciousness is never performed, I don't take that as being black and white. That's not that before that you're initiated there's no connection and you only have a connection after initiated. Those of you who are just here listening and not officially enrolled, I hope you're still learning something from the books. Yes? Uh, but uh, it's also like I heard in one lecture that Guru breaks the understanding of the scriptures and Guru implants a seed for bhakti. Yes. So uh, the bhakti, bhakti starts after initiation, actually. Well, to say when bhakti starts is an interesting discussion. Because Mamchayo Vyavicharina Bhakti Vanatsatanam Brahmabhuti Prasanat Manasochitina Kantri Samasarvesha Bhuteshu Mad Bhaktin Labhate Para. In one sense, but Bhakti only starts after you're liberated. <laughs> so, uh, a way you can, another material example is if you're going to be in a drama. So you're rehearsing for the drama, you're preparing for the drama, you're practicing. Is that part of the drama or not? Yes. Yes. And no. The real drama is once you get on the stage. But how are you going to get on the stage without the practicing? So in one sense, all of sadhana bhakti is not actual bhakti, it's practice bhakti. You're practicing bhakti. So if you want to say, where does bhakti begin? That's a very difficult, it's a very difficult thing to say. Yeah. But then you could say, well, we'll have to define what is meant by initiation. Because initiation means to surrender to guru. Okay, that's, that's easy. Now you pick something that's easy. <laughs> because bhakti Vinotek word describes very clearly what is initiation. This is something from the Shastra. So initiation has five parts. Nam, T 
Tilak, Tapa, Mantra, and Archana. Those are the five parts of initiation. So it's the guru at the initiation that gives the nam? Nam can mean either giving the holy name or giving you your name. It can mean both. You get a new spiritual name or you're given the holy name. But it must be given for you to be able to chant Sudha Nam. The pure name must be given to you, and it generally happens at the time of initiation. Yes, although you can be given the pure name before initiation. Well, like the general in the car. Yes, or just like Prabhupada wrote this letter to this girl, Andrea Temple. He said, just like you have heard the mantra from my disciples, you can give it to others. And And she wasn't herself initiated. My next thought was... But initiation is those five things have to be there. So in, in our system, those five things only happen fully at second initiation. Three happen at, at first, and the other two happen at second. Srila Prabhupada broke Diksha up into two parts. What was the five things you initiated? Nam, Tilak, Tapa. What's our Tapa? Four principles. And the Sri Vaishnava Sampradaya, what's their Tapa? They brand them. Mantra. By mantra, we don't mean the Hare Krishna mantra. Mantra means? Gayatri mantras. And Archana. So mantra and Archana, we get a second initiation. The other three we get at first initiation. So that there's initiation is something. Diksha, Vaishnav Diksha, is uh, it's something Shastric. It's not like you can say, well, is this initiation? Is that initiation? And take like two more minutes for this. And what about the, do you become accepted? To achieve anything, you, you need to be accepted in spiritual life. Hmm. So the teacher is not the point when he accepting you as a disciple, the guru. It, it's the formal. It's the formal acceptance. So there can be an acceptance beforehand. Just like it's pretty unusual, even with arranged marriages that you get married five minutes after you say you're going to get married. You know, maybe in the Gandharva marriage. But generally, you say you're going to get married and then you plan the wedding. That takes a little bit of time. They say you have to allow people at least six weeks after receiving a wedding invitation to come to the wedding. Does that make sense to everybody? You don't say, okay, my daughter is getting married, the wedding's in five minutes. Now, sometimes I met one devotee who told me his daughter just got married like that. She said, Mommy, Daddy, we're going to get married in half an hour. Let's go. But generally, it's not like that. And of course, they already had a relationship for a long time. But generally, it's not you meet somebody, you get married in five minutes, you plan the wedding. So the time between deciding you're going to marry somebody and actually marrying them, each side has still made a commitment, but it's a commitment that is understood that it can be broken. you You haven't signed the contract yet. Is it different to break an engagement than to break a marriage? Yeah, it's very different. Why? What's different about it? Yeah, well, there's some. There's still an expectation. You know, if you say, will you marry me? Yes, I'll marry you. Yes, we'll plan the date. We'll send the invitation. I mean, I have one friend who um, decided she didn't like her husband. 
And I said, but the, all these things you don't like about him, you already knew before you married him. She said, that's true. I said, so why did you marry him? She said, because we had already printed the invitations. <laughs> I said, that's a really foolish reason to marry someone. So there is some sense of obligation that if we're engaged and we say we're going to marry, that we'll actually marry, but it's not the same. It's not the same. Like Srila Prabhupada talks about how in Vedic culture, a widow would not remarry, but a widow could remarry if she'd never lived with her husband. If it was like a child marriage, but they'd never lived together, they were just officially married, then she could remarry. So there's some difference. You know, there's a difference between somebody calling the VIAG and say, I want to come for the Bhakti Shastri. Okay, fine. We'll reserve a place for you. And somebody actually paying the fee and coming and registering. There's a difference. Although the commitment is made earlier, there's a certain point where the commitment is solidified. So initiation of the commitment is solidified on both ends. So I see before initiation, there's some on both ends. At at initiation, it's solidified. Uh, The testing is over. The difference is until initiation, both parties may still be testing. Yes? So what if when the spiritual master falls down, leaves all this connection with Krishna, should still be there? I'm so glad somebody asked this question. So just like if you um, enroll in a university, because Srila Prabhupada compared initiation to enrolling in a university. So the person who enrolls you in a university is like your admissions officer. So if your admissions officer then leaves the university, are you unenrolled? They just apply a new one. They, they, they appoint a new one, but do you need to go through the admissions process again? as long as it's on the system. So the question is that when you paid your fee, did the person you pay your fee to, did they put it in their pocket or did they give it to the college? Does this make sense to everybody? If, if the person who admits you is actually an employee of the college, then you're admitted. What does it matter whether they leave tomorrow? And when you're in college, your main advisor might be your admissions officer, might not be. Have you all, who here, who here has been to college? Okay. So usually in college, at least in America, you have uh, an academic advisor. You have somebody, some particular professor, who takes care of your academics. Did you all have something like that? Someone who works at your schedule and checks up on you and like that. Now that person might also be one of your professors, and maybe that person is also your admissions officer. Could be, it could be somebody different. And if you wanna say, who's the main person who took care of you, that may also be, you know, that may be one of your professors. Maybe it was one of your, maybe your admissions officer is just official, and the person who really helped you is one of your professors. Maybe the person who really helped you is one of the other students. Maybe the person you got the most guidance from was someone who wrote one of your textbooks. Now the admissions officer is very important. The admissions officer is doing a very important job. 
and that what the job the admissions officer is doing is certifying you to the college. The admissions officer is saying to the college, I put my name on the line. Do you understand what that means? I'm certifying that this person, Mr. Smith, Mr. Patel, is going to be a good student. I've checked out this person. And they're going to the college and saying, if we enroll this person, they'll, they'll, good chance they'll graduate. Now, if the admission officer enrolls incompetent students, who's going to get in trouble? The admissions officer. So the admission officer is using his good name. He's got the trust of the institution. And the admissions officer is the one who gives you your ID card, which then gives you access to the whole university. So once you're admitted, then you have access to the library, to all the, if you go to any of the professors and say, can you help me, they'll usually help you. If you're not admitted, then they may help you, they may not help you. Does that make sense to everybody? Now maybe your admissions officer is the main person who guides you through the college process, and maybe not. So there, there's only one, uh, now I was, I think you know I'm on the Shostak Advisory Council to the GBC, so we were asked about this issue. And I'm just gonna tell you according to Shastra. I don't want to get into policies. But according to Shastra, if the, if the guru, Shiksha Diksha Guru, is fallen, you can try to rectify that person, which is an interesting concept. What does it mean? You can try to preach to them and help them and get them back on the path. And if they don't get on the path, you offer them respect from a distance and you take shelter elsewhere. There's one verse and one verse only about taking mantra again. And that is if the guru is not a Vaishnava. So it says if one gets one's mantra from an avaishnava, then one must take the mantra again. So Sanatana Goswami defines and Gopabhata Goswami Sanatana Goswami define a Vaishnava two things. They themselves have taken Diksha from a Vaishnava and they are worshipping Vishnu. So according to that definition, if the person who gave you mantra has themselves taken mantra from a Vaishnava and is worshipping Vishnu, then even if they fall from the path, you do not take your mantra again. And according to Jiva Goswami Bhaktivinoda Thakur, to be a Vaishnava, you have to be controlling your senses, respect with other Vaishnavas, things like that. So some people may want to take the more objective definition and some people the more subjective. So the objective one is very clear. Is this person worshiping Vishnu? And have they been initiated by a Vaishnava? If so, then even if there's some difficulty, I don't take mantra again. And other people may say, well, this person's worshiping Vishnu and they took Diksha from Vaishnava, but they're embroiled in sense gratification, they're committing offenses, and so forth, so I should take mantra again. Um, of course, if one uses the second definition, which many, many, many people do, uh, you leave the door open for interesting scenarios. 
Let's just say that. Well, no, not I'm thinking so much that, but we've had situations where Mr. Krishna Das will say, oh, your guru doesn't want you to take shelter of me, therefore your guru is envious of Vaishnavas, therefore you should reject your guru and take mantra again from me. So as soon as we say that you can take mantra again if the guru is not at a very high standard, you open the door to this kind of behavior. Just everybody follow that logic. It becomes very subjective. It becomes like, well, okay, you know, my, my mantra guru, my diksha guru is not is a Vaishnava, but not a high-grade Vaishnava. But just be aware that any time you take mantra again, you are saying that your initial mantra guru is not a Vaishnava. So that's what you are saying. You, either way, you have, there's, you know, if you take mantra again too easily, then you're offending your, your mantra guru. But if your mantra guru is actually not a Vaishnava, you need to take mantra again. And the only person who can decide that is the disciple. There's not really anybody else's business. Well, you have to take shelter elsewhere. No, nobody, there's not anywhere in the Shastra where it says that your, your Diksha Guru has to be a Paramahamsa. You need contact with the Paramahamsa. You need to have a Paramahamsa Guru. That doesn't necessarily have to be that that has to be your Shiksha Guru, that has to be your Diksha Guru. In some cases, the Diksha Guru Paramahamsa people take another Guru. Is this the same thing, taking Mantra or taking Guru? Well, that depends. Prabhupada says Diksha is only done once. You can only take your Mantra once. Now you can have different gurus for different mantras, but you only take mantra once. And the only time you would take mantra more than once is that the person who gave you the mantra is not a Vaishnava. So if you ever take mantra again, you are saying, according to Shastra, the person I took mantra from first is not a Vaishnava. Now how you want to interpret Vaishnava is up to you. But that's what it means. It means to take a shelter from another Vaishnava or another guru and just taking that little guy out of them. Oh, cool. Well, you can have many, 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 many shiksha gurus. There's no limit to the number of shiksha gurus. One diksha guru with many shiksha gurus. Our line is a shiksha line. Our line that's printed in Bhagavad Gita is not a diksha line. If we printed our diksha line, there'd be a lot of women in it. We print the shiksha line. Bhakti Sinanta Saraswati emphasizes the shiksha line. And anyway, you need association with the Prema Bhakta. How much association do you need with the Prema Bhakta? How much? Eleventh of a second. Sadhu Sangha, Sadhu Sangha. Sarva Shastra Khoi, Lava Matra Sadhu Sangha, Sarva Siddhi Khoi. You need one eleventh of a second with a pure devotee. Okay? If you've got one eleventh of a second association with a pure devotee, you're okay. All right, I really have to go on. It's got to be really quick. This is, this is like, you know, a ten-year discussion here. Any mantra, if you, any initiation into any mantra, that mantra you can only get initiated into once. 
Just like if you study Ramanujacharya, he had like five Diksha Gurus, but each of them were for a different mantra. Just like, for example, let's say you're going to do a certain yagya and you have to learn certain mantras to do that yagya. You get initiated into those mantras. We, we don't think like that so much in ISKCON, but that's, if you want to look at what is the tradition. We, 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 we really are. Our, our conceptions are also a little streamlined. Simplified. But for example, let's say somebody comes to the movement and they already heard, you know, they, are, they had a Vaishnava guru who gave them the Brahma Gayatri. But maybe that Vaishnava guru didn't give them the rest of our Gayatri mantras. So they could still take initiation into those other mantras that they hadn't received from their other guru, even if he was a bona fide Vaishnava. But once you receive that mantra, you shouldn't then receive the mantra from somebody else. If you do, you're saying the person who gave you the mantra at first is not a Vaishnava. So if you got your mantras from a Buddhist, so you got your mantra from a Mayavadi, then you must take them again. Is that that Shastra? How you want to take that Shastra and apply it into policies? And that's way beyond the scope of anything I'm going to talk about today, or tomorrow, or the next day. Oh, Hare Krishna mantra is always active. So, it, so we read in Chaitanya Charitamrita, the Hare Krishna mantra does not wait for initiation, nor are the purificatory processes before initiation. But still, having said that, just like when you enroll in a school. Now, I don't know how much stuff they give you here as part of your tuition. It doesn't look like they give you much. But in most schools, when you pay your tuition and you enroll, you get certain things, like, like library privileges, for example. You know, when, when I was a graduate student, I could electronically access a very large library. I could access almost any professional journal from my own computer. And now that I graduated, six months after I graduated, they suspended that. I can't do it anymore. So I, I got certain privileges by being an enrolled student. So when you're an enrolled student, the whole university is there for you. Everyone in the parampara. You officially join the family, just like the uh, analogy of marriage. Once you get married, then you have, of course you may not like this, but then you have a mother-in-law, father-in-law, sister-in-law, brother-in-law. Again, you may not like that. But you know, when you when you officially take initiation, then you're you're officially part of the family. Now you have a parm guru and a parm parm guru. Narada Muni is one of your gurus. Do you understand? It's official. Yes, the holy name potency doesn't wait for initiation. All you need is the holy name. Another reason Prabhupada gives for taking initiation is that he's talking about full diksha that Diksha engages you in deity worship without which chanting offenselessly is very difficult. So the holy name is there, but to chant offenselessly without deity worship, without all the facility of Diksha is very, very difficult. Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. It's possible. And Prabhupada gives the example of people who get a degree without ever enrolling. 
it happens, you know, that some university comes and say, okay, we give you an honorary degree. All right, I'm already way, way, way behind and should plan five classes for this part of the introduction. All right, so that's Shilanam and Anushilanam. So Shilanam is activity like we have there. Anushilanam is activity that's following. Activity that's following particularly spiritual master and, and under the control of the internal energy. Not just whimsical activity. Not sahajya activity. Not just any activity that I want to do. Okay, our next one is Anukulena. Anukulena means favorable. So interesting, Anushilanam, Shilanam means activity, and Anushilanam means it's activity that will make Krishna happy. It's authorized activity, authorized by Guru, authorized by the internal energy. You know, if, if you decide you want to cook for me, and you ask somebody, what is Ormila like? And they tell you, Ormila likes this, and Ormila doesn't like that. Then you're cooking things for me that are pleasing to me. Okay? So anushilanam, the concept of anushilanam, means that the activities you're doing with body, mind, and words are certified as things that Krishna likes. Like Guru will tell you, Krishna likes this kind of food. He doesn't like this kind of food. Krishna likes this kind of these mantras. He doesn't like this mantra. Clear? Everybody clear? That's the Anu Shilanam. Anu, particularly, is telling you that these activities are going to be pleasing to Krishna. Now we have Anukulena. Anukulena also means pleasing. It also means pleasing. But it means that your desire is to please. Because you might do something that pleases Krishna without wanting to please Krishna. Like the demons, like Kamsa. Krishna likes fighting. Prabhupada says our fighting propensity comes from Krishna. So Krishna likes to fight sometimes. All of us sometimes get pleasure by fighting. At least verbally, if not physically. So Krishna also takes some pleasure in fighting. When a demon fights with him, Krishna may be very pleased. Krishna's always pleased, and he's pleased by fighting with demons. But although that may be shilana, anushilana, pleasing to Krishna, it's not anukulena. The demons don't want to please Krishna. And the opposite may sometimes happen, that you want to please Krishna, but you don't. Like Mother Yasoda, who goes to take care of the milk, because she wants the milk for Krishna, but Krishna gets angry and breaks the butterfly. He's not happy. He doesn't say, Mother Yasoda, thank you very much for leaving me here to take care of the milk. So the analogy that Rupa Goswami gives is that of a warrior and its weapons. So he says, generally, wanting to please someone and pleasing someone are the same thing. Just like if you say, give this food to the warrior, the warrior usually has his weapons, but you don't give the food to the weapons. So sometimes the warrior and his weapons are together, and sometimes they're separate. So sometimes the intention to please somebody and actually pleasing somebody are two different things. You can have ill intentions and please someone anyway, or you can have good intentions and not please someone. 
So the activity itself should be something that's pleasing to Krishna. Madhya Soda taking care of the milk is an activity that would generally please Krishna. And her intentions were to please Krishna. Now, Srila Prabhupada gives a different understanding of the warrior's weapons than Jiva Goswami commenting on Jiva Goswami. Prabhupada talks about that pleasing Krishna, the intention to please Krishna, includes Krishna's paraphernalia, Krishna's leela, Krishna's devotees, like the warrior and his weapons, that if you take care of the warrior, you take care of his weapons. Um, basically, ankulena means that there should be, we've talked about emotion and desire, there should be some emotion. Bhakti should not just be service, it should be devotional service. My desire should be to please Krishna. So now we have the bottom two lines, which are the, this is the main definition of Uttama Bhakti. The main definition of Uttama Bhakti. Activity, following the guru, following the internal energy, therefore activity that's going to please, please who? Please Krishna with a desire to please Krishna. Or if you want to have it in the order it is, with a desire to please Krishna, following in the footsteps of guru and the internal energy doing activities. With a desire... With a desire to please Krishna, following guru and the internal energy, actually doing activities of the body, speech, mind, thinking, feeling, really, that is bhakti of the highest power. Now we have the secondary definitions. This is what bhakti is not. This is what it is. This is what it's not. So this is the secondary definitions. So we have The first is no other motive. You could say, okay, I want to please Krishna, but I want to please Krishna so he'll give me some money. But I want to please Krishna. I want to please Krishna so I can get a big position. I want to please Krishna, but for some, not just to please Krishna, to please him. I want to please him for something else. Would that be possible? I'm following the process of the previous acharyas. I have a desire to please Krishna, but I have other motives. Or if I please Krishna, I'll become very rich. If I please Krishna, I'll become very famous. So, anya vilasita sunya. Sunya means zero. Now, this word is a little interesting. Anya means other. Abhilas means desire. But uh, Rupa Goswami adds this ta. Anya vilasita. Ita. So this means ness, desireness. All other desireness should be gone. So what does this allow for? This allows for things that are not deep motives. If there is passing superficial desires, that does not disqualify you from being in pure bhakti. In other words, if you think sometimes, oh, I wish I had a better car, that doesn't disqualify you from being in pure bhakti. Now, if your reason for worshiping Krishna is you want a better car, it would. If you're saying, I'm worshiping Krishna so I can get a good car, that's not pure bhakti. 
If you're worshiping Krishna to please Krishna, but sometimes you think, well, it would be nice to have a good friend. That's pure bhakti. Clear? Not clear. Okay. I am not teaching this class so that I get prasada. That's not why I'm teaching this class. Okay? If I didn't teach this class, I would still be getting prasada. That's not my reason for teaching this class. But I still like to have nice prasada. I might say, oh, can you have some yellow rice instead of plain rice? But that's not why I'm teaching the class. You said, Amita, why are you teaching the class? I wouldn't say, I'm teaching the class so I can get some percent. It's not my motive. Is that clear? Is that... Sometimes that may be our motive. Sometimes we may do something so we'll get percent. One time in Mayapur, a devotee asked me a few years ago, would you facilitate one day of the devotee care committee for the GBC? Our facilitator's busy. Would you come in and facilitate for a day? I said, oh, I don't really want to. And she said, well, if you'll do it for one day, you can have GBC prasadam for 10 days. I said, okay. I said, okay, deal. <laughs> that was my motive. Now, it wasn't my motive on the second day. It was, I, was, I said, I'm just doing this one day. Then after the first day, they said, please come tomorrow. I said, oh. And I came the next day, and then they invited me for the next <coughs> meeting. But anyway, in that case, that was my motive. I said, okay, I'm going to do this for a nice persona. That was actually my motive. Thank you. <laughs> do you understand the difference? Yes. Do you understand the difference? Yes. Okay, so if I go to Krishna, I say, the reason I am worshiping Krishna is I want something. That is not pure bhakti. Want something means... Okay, just like the AC where I'm staying, when I came, it was broken. So we called the man, please fix it. And he would fix it. And five minutes after he left, it would break again. And we called him again, and he would fix it. And five minutes after he leaves, it breaks again. So we call him again, and he fixed it. It went on five or six times. Then after it's fixed, do we call him? No. We weren't calling him because we wanted some relationship with him. It was just business. So business, as soon as your business is done, the relationship is done. That's business. I go to the shop. I want to buy some something. Like what I want to buy. I want to buy some tea lock. I go to the shop. If they have the tea lock, I buy the tea lock. I give my money and I leave. If they don't have the tea lock, I leave. If I worship Krishna for a material reason, then if Krishna doesn't give it to me, I leave. Oh, I came because I wanted money. You didn't give me money. Okay, I'm going. Or I come to Krishna, please give me money. He doesn't. He gives me money, and then I go. I get it. I don't get it. Whether I get it or not, 
If I figure I'm not going to get it, I leave. And as soon as I get it, I also leave. My relationship was only for the purpose of getting something. Now, if, if I'm serving Krishna because I want to please Krishna, the fact that other desires enter my mind and are still in my heart does not mean that I am not in pure devotional service. Yes? So how can we understand sometimes the reasons of the devotee of any desire separate from uh, well, you can. There's different ways of just like we talked about. When does bhakti begin? And then you can also talk about what is pure devotional service. So pure devotional service can be the person practicing to get on the stage and the person who's on the stage. Why does the advanced devotee not have any other desires? Yes, it's finished all the inar- but what's finished the inartinavritti? What's made the inartinavritti finished? The affection for Krishna and, and what does that what does that mean exactly? Love for Krishna, so what does that mean? Yes, 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 thank you. All your desires are satisfied. You're full. Is it possible to never have any desires for anything if you're not yet full? Is that possible? Is it possible? No, it's not possible. You can't do that. How do the impersonalists try to destroy desires without being full? They try to kill them. We are not trying to kill our desires. We're trying to satisfy them, actually. We want them to be actually satisfied. So until they're fully and actually spiritually satisfied, they will come to the mind and the heart. There's nothing you can do about that unless you want to try to kill them like in the personalist. Can't, it just, it won't work. But you're still in the process of pure devotional service. The process you're engaged in is one of pure devotional service. Follow? Yes? No, not quite. You're engaged in a pure process. You yourself might not yet be pure, but the process you're engaged in is pure. Okay, you're taking a bath, you're taking a shower in clean, pure water with clean, pure soap. It's a pure shower with pure soap or you're bathing in a pure river. There may still be some dirt on your body. So you may not be yet clean, but your process is a pure process. You're not engaged in an adulterated process. You're not bathing in a polluted river. If you're bathing in a pure river with pure soap, it's a pure process, even if there's some dirt left that you haven't yet cleaned. Is that like the analogy of the iron and fire? Yes, very much so. The iron and fire. Yes. I think there's a mixed emotion. It's like this thing. 
you have the following No, you're not. If I'm taking a bath in a, in a crystal clear, pure river, have any of you ever seen crystal clear, pure water? Yes. Rare thing nowadays. But if you've actually seen pure water, if you're bathing in pure water, the water is still pure. You may be dirty, but the water is pure. There's a difference between bathing in pure water and like the pig I saw yesterday bathing in the sewage. Sleeping in it even. It's really funny. Nice place to sleep in the sewer. So there's there's a difference. So if and therefore anyabilasitan, anyabilasitan. No desireness. There may be a, an occasional desire for this or that, but that's not the purpose for worshiping Krishna. I may go to Krishna with those. I may say Krishna. You know, like Kardama Muni went to Krishna and said, "Krishna, I want a nice wife." <laughs> so better to go to Krishna than not to go to Krishna. But that's not the reason I'm worshiping Krishna. I'm going to Krishna, my dear Krishna, I'm so sorry, I have a desire for a nice husband, or I have a desire for a healthy body, or I have a desire for some money, or I have a desire for this. I'm really sorry about that. Please take care of this desire however you want. But I'm not worshiping you to get that fulfilled. I'm not going, okay, let's see, I'm going to follow the sakadasi, because if I follow the sakadasi, then I'll become healthier. If I follow the sakadasi, then I'll become rich. If I follow this ritual, then I'll get this thing in the world. If I follow this ritual, then I'll go to heaven. I'll follow. Do you see the difference? Can you understand the difference? Abhakti also isn't pretending, oh Krishna, I don't have any material desires in my heart. I only want to serve you. He was like, oh yeah, really? He doesn't particularly like falsity. He's the absolute truth. So if we have material desires, best to be honest about it to ourselves and to Krishna. And just say, Krishna, I really want to serve you just to please you. I'm sorry I have all these material desires in my heart. Please help me deal with them. But I'm not going to you, Krishna, to fulfill my material desires. It's pretty obvious if you're going to Krishna to fulfill your material desires, you will leave. You'll only go to Krishna sometimes. You only go to Krishna when you want something. That's a nice evidence right there. You know, okay, Krishna, I want something here on you. And when you don't want something, you won't be in Krishna conscious. Okay, I need to finish. I want to at least do this today. I'm gonna, is it all right if I go like five, ten minutes over, or will you all kill me? You won't kill me? Okay. I, I try not to. I, I really, really try to keep to time. Okay, so this definition, Sita, allows a beginner to also be counted in pure devotional service. Otherwise, you'd have to say that anybody below Prema or anybody below Baba, perhaps, was in mixed devotion. Um, okay, now we're going to look at at karma, at jnana karma anavritam. Now there's a big difference between sunyam and anavritam. Sunyam means zero, anavritam means covered. So there should be zero, absolutely total zero, of worshiping Krishna for the purpose of gaining material desires. That has to be zero. 
But jnana and karma should not cover bhakti. Rupa Goswami is not saying you have to have zero jnana and zero karma. He couldn't because there's Krishna jnana and Krishna karma. Right now we're engaged in some Krishna jnana, I hope. Right? We're gaining knowledge about Krishna. We can't say this is opposed to bhakti. I mean, I heard a devotee say that once in a Bhagavatam class, that studying Bhagavad Gita was karma mizra bhakti. When you're really advanced, you don't read Bhagavad Gita. I mean, that's funny because Mahaprabhu was reading Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita Well, you can look at it two ways. You can say that the person's process is contaminated. They're doing a contaminated process. They're doing karma measure bhakti or jnana measure bhakti. The water they're bathing in is not pure. Or you can say that although the person's in a pure process, they are not pure. However, Shiva Prabhupada and Rupa Goswami are not putting that kind of characterization on the practitioner. You could. Legitimately, shastrically, you could. You could say this devotee is actually this devotee in the process of pure devotional service is actually functioning at the level of karma, karma yoga or jnana yoga or jnana yoga. I mean, I pointed out there are, there are devotees, and unfortunately a lot of them, who, who try to follow a jnana or, or, or karma yoga or jnana yoga or jnana yoga process thinking it's bhakti, which is first you repress all your desires and then you become pure. So it is possible to be following mixed bhakti thinking you're following pure bhakti. That's, that's quite possible. In fact, it's not only possible, but it's, it's not uncommon. It's, it's foolish. It's very, very, very foolish because it makes everything so much harder. You know the right goal that is pure devotion service and you know your present situation and you need to be honest and Yes, and then you're in pure devotional service. You may not be pure, but you're in pure devotional service. You're in, you're in Bhakti Uttama. If you're making a mistake about the process, if you're thinking the process is something else, if you're thinking the way I achieve Bhakti is first I repress all my emotions and I repress all my desires, and then after I become pure, then I can have spiritual emotions. That's not bhakti, it's something else. You're then doing either karma yoga, jnana yoga, or jnana yoga. You're not doing bhakti yoga. Or if you think, you know, I'm going to go to Krishna and say, you know, give me a house by the sea, Jai Jagadishari, then you're also not engaged actually in Uttama Bhakti. You may think it's Uttama Bhakti, but it's not. You're doing you're actually doing another process. Can you do another process and think it's it's pure bhakti? Definitely. Definitely. There are people all over the world who believe that they're religious people and spiritual people and that they're in a pure process when they're not. And I'm sorry to say there are even people in the International Society for Krishna Consciousness like that. There really are. Maybe we've been one of them. Maybe we are one of them. I don't know. 
you know, I mean, there are people who say the whole purpose of the Krishna consciousness movement is to establish mundane dharma. And be pious. And nobody's transcendental anyway. Why even, why even try for transcendental? Just be a good person in this world and follow the rules of Varnashram and forget about Krishna consciousness. We can't do it anyway. There are people who think like that. That's not Uttama Bhakti. That's something else. Is it possible to think you're in Krishna consciousness and be doing something else? Definitely. If you're, in, if you're actually in Krishna consciousness and you're not yet purified, you're still in Krishna consciousness. You're just not yet purified. And you really can't be compared. This is in chapter 12. A neophyte on the pure bhakti path is much better situated than an advanced practitioner on other paths. Sorry, you should have Practitioner in other paths. So if you're advanced in Gyan Yoga, that's not as helpful as if you're a neophyte in Bhakti Yoga. Better to be a neophyte in Bhakti Yoga than an advanced practitioner in Gyan Yoga or Karma Yoga or Gyan Or Karma Mishra Bhakti or Gyan Mishra Bhakti. But if you have, I mean, if we're not in Prima, then we must have material desires, right? Does that make sense to everybody? If I say I'm not pure, I must have material desires. And if I'm not feeling ecstasy 24 hours a day, then I'm not pure. It's a pretty simple test. Am I in having unlimited ecstasy 24 hours a day? If the answer is no, then I must not be pure. If I'm not pure, then I must have material desires. But I'm not worshiping Krishna to fulfill my material desires. I'm worshiping Krishna because I want to achieve love of God. I may not even be clear about what love of God is, but at least on some level I want to achieve love of God. And when I have my material desires, I take them to Krishna, but for him to do what he wants with them. I say, my dear Krishna, I really have this desire for money. I really want money. Here's my desire. I don't know what to do with it. You do something with this, okay? Do you follow? What is that? Do you think you do that? Well, if you don't do that, what will you do with your desire for money? <laughs> try and get it yourself. Yeah, exactly. Will the desire go away if you don't take it to Krishna? No, you'll try to do it independently of Krishna. So better take it to Krishna. Sarvakama, Akama, Mokshakama. That is my avatar. Yes, that is my avatar. Thank you. Or in person, may not be my avatar. Gyan yoga. That's, that's the karma yoga, gyan yoga, dhyan yoga path. First, kill it. You can't kill it. Sorry. So much better to go to Krishna than otherwise you have this part of my life is for Krishna and this part of my life is not for Krishna. Yeah. If your life looks like that, then, you know, this is a way to deal with it. Take the nonsense parts of your life and start going to Krishna about them. Instead of, okay, here's my Krishna life and here's my other life. <laughs> I don't have any other life. You know, who are you fooling? Not yourself and not Krishna. And eventually, you probably won't fool anybody else either. Eventually, Krishna will usually bring it into the sunshine. 
so better to deal with it. I was talking with a good friend of mine the other day. I said, the reason I, I said, there's, I'm doing such and such service. I said, one reason I'm doing this service is I know that you probably wants it. It's part of his mission. I said, the other reason I'm doing it is to engage my nature. Because I know if I don't engage my nature, I'll engage my nature anyway, and I'll just cause trouble. Clear? Everybody clear? Okay. Look at the clock. What if you desire something? Okay, forget it. I'll tell you after class. No. Okay. Maybe tomorrow. Okay, so jnana, karma, anavritam means that you shouldn't have jnana or karma that cover your bhakti. You shouldn't be engaged particularly in cultivating knowledge that leads to impersonal Brahman realization. You should be cultivating knowledge about Krishna or knowledge that's useful in your service. And you should be doing activities that are favorable to Krishna. You shouldn't be engaged in some sort of... uh, ritualistic activities that take you away from Krishna. That shouldn't cover your bhakti. It's not that you should have no knowledge and no activities. So therefore it's not sunyam, but it's anavritam, it shouldn't be covered. Okay? So, you know, of course we have to engage in so many activities. We have to brush our teeth, we have to take a bath, but all that should be dedicated to Krishna. And we shouldn't do activities specifically that cover our knowledge of Krishna. Nor should we shouldn't engage in knowledge that covers our relationship with Krishna or activities that cover our relationship with Krishna. Or jnana karma anavritam would mean, jnana would mean like desires for liberation and karma can mean desires to go to heaven. So I knew that this was going to be mostly lecture day, and I was hoping to have an interactive activity today. Obviously, that's not going to happen today. I knew today was going to be difficult. Um, do you want to just do stuff tomorrow, or should I give you homework? Tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow we'll spend the first... Uh, let's say half an hour tomorrow doing the exercise I wanted to do today.